started a week or so ago, and we'll be working through this great, great book. The theme of Corinthians has given God the glory. And so tonight, uh, to go along with our theme, we'll be speaking on going forward as a church. Going forward as a church. And as you're finding that passage in 1 Corinthians, uh, just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, uh, we will have our annual budget meeting Wednesday night uh, to discuss uh, voting in our proposed budget. Uh, it's been out for almost three weeks. Again, if you have a question, see Miss Rachel or Brother Berto or Brother Steve if you have any questions on these categories and, and um, uh, any concerns or uh, uh, ideas or whatever. And if not, we'll uh, uh, have a meeting to vote that budget in Wednesday. Then also, please be in prayer for Brother Schulte. Brother John Schulte is in room 2218 at the Queen of the Valley. Uh, was struggling with a blood clot, a lot of pain in his leg. And so now they've got him on heparin uh, to try to dissolve that. And then they've got him on an NG tube now down his nose. And, and uh, uh, just in a lot of pain. Please pray for him uh, that God will heal him and get him home quickly. Then also pray for Mike Leontini. He begged me to announce this tonight. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, a it's top secret. No one's supposed to know, but he's having an MRI done this week. And so pray for him. And uh, I don't know if he's in a lot of pain, but he's causing a lot of pain to others. And uh, so anyway, he's here tonight, but do pray for him. He's having an MRI done on his knee. And then also for those of you uh, that know Barbara Baker, her birthday is Tuesday. And she's at Piner's Nursing Home on California Street. If you'd like to drop in there uh, or, or text her or call her, I'm sure that would be an encouragement to her. And then also Jerome Serrano, uh, the burn victim, is doing better every week. It is just, it's just a miracle. Uh, burned on between 80 and 90% of his body, a chemical burn. Uh, they've removed one finger. Uh, they just did hand surgery this week. If they're doing surgery on you in the burn unit uh, every, every month, that means they believe you're going to live. And so they've done a lot of grafts on his back. Uh, they've done the hand surgery. Uh, they'll be doing some grafts uh, on his legs. And so uh, they did eye surgery this week. So just continue to pray for him because we're not mentioning him every service. Please, uh, please don't forget him. And then I mentioned yesterday to the, uh, those out soul winning Please be in prayer for our missionary, Kevin Wynn. Brother Wynn has been a faithful missionary to Mexico City, one of the most dangerous cities in the world. 35 million people there. And Kevin Wynn, uh, when he first got there, uh, he began preaching and uh, he built a house for his family. And the Roman Catholic Church in the city hired a bulldozer and they bulldozed his house. And so it's just all these things and the police didn't know about it. You know, just, just a lot of corruption. And so they have never wanted him there in 35 years. He's the one that had, uh, let me see, what was it? 250,000 people in a week at his backyard Bible clubs. And had, I believe the number was like 100,000 people saved. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So he's the Jerry Pertel of Mexico City on steroids. 
and uh, he's just been faithful. Uh, uh, if he walked in tonight and sat down, you'd shake his hand and say, good to have you. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he's, he's not the many mighty, many noble. Uh, he would be the, le- uh, the least likely to succeed uh, if you just looked at him. Uh, he's the one that uh, got saved and he ended up at Brother A.D. Hampton's church. And he came in, he was in the military and had his hat on and sat on the back pew, sat on the top of the pew. So that's how he came to church. He sat on the top of the pew and, and uh, Brother Hampton said, son, uh, uh, son uh, take your hat off and sit in the pew like everybody else. So he corrected him. Well, that turned out to be the great Kevin Wynn. Uh, the great Kevin Wynn. Never seen anything like him. Uh, I just wish you could go down there in Mexico City. They took the offering the night I was speaking. They had thousands, thousands of people there. And so they took the offering and for such a big ministry, it's the most unorganized thing I've ever seen. And so they just took all the buckets and dumped, dumped all the offering on his desk. So here's like all these, you know, and it looked like a lot, but a lot of them were like those $1 pesos or whatever they call it. You know, it's, you know, it was just, you know, his desk is covered with money. He said, hey, Joe, here. And he took a handful of money and he said, uh, 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 pay for the toys for the uh, Bible clubs. And hey, you, uh, uh, pay for the refreshments for the kids. And you, go feed the pastors out right there. It, it was like, what in the world? And then I'm looking at him and uh, then he said, and, and where's brother so-and-so? Uh, Weren't you supposed to pick him up? Well, uh, I didn't know it was me. Well, you were supposed, he speaks in five minutes. And, you know, it's all the way across Mexico City. And I'm just videoing the great Kevin Wynn. The great Kevin Wynn. And then there's a stack of Barbie dolls stacked up six feet high. Barbie dolls. Uh, just in the corner, like, like 500 of them. And I said, Brother Wynn, not every pastor has a Barbie doll collection in his office. I said, do you collect them all? I mean, is Ken anywhere to be found? And, and uh, someone said, if Barbie's so popular, why do you have to buy her friends? Uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, and he says, we give away anything it takes to get people saved. So those were gifts for the Bible clubs out, out in the village ministries. But anyway, uh, this past week, uh, he preached on idolatry, the sin of idols, there in Mexico City, whether it was on their broadcast or whether it was an outdoor service, I couldn't get all the details, but word got out and it went viral. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people there in Mexico City knows Kevin Wynn does not believe in bowing down to the Catholic idols. So there have been thousands and tens of thousands of death threats on him, his family, his ministry, their buildings. And so he called Jerry Pertel just to say, if you don't hear from me in a couple of days, you'll know what happened. And so here in our uh, state, we may have a door slammed in our face. Someone may throw an egg at the church building every 35 years, but we don't have the persecution like they have in some of these mission fields. And I just hope that if you think of Kevin Wynn, you'll pray for him. He's been there like 35 years. He's been there. They've, they've started a college. They've got kids scattered all around the world doing the work of the ministry. And so if you can't sleep tonight, be a good time to pray for Brother Wynn, our missionary there in Mexico City. 
And I just want to throw that out to you there. So if you're listening online, there you go. We're in 1 Corinthians tonight, just for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And uh, we're going to look at just a couple of uh, passages. And uh, last week we talked about the background to this great, great church. Uh, Paul, outside of Athens, Greece. He has spoken at Mars Hill. About an hour drive by car up the coast is the great city of Corinth. 90,000 people. Very educated. They had their own, uh, uh, their own navy. They had entertainment. It is Greece. Uh, it is the knowledge capital of the world. And uh, 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 their language is going to be spread throughout the known world. And Rome is going to build the highways that are eventually going to spread the gospel. Well, Paul starts a church there, a difficult city. Uh, when I first came here to Napa, I knew it wasn't Texas and I knew it wasn't Louisiana. The first, uh, the first bumper sticker I saw said, welcome to California, now go home. I remember waving at someone and they pulled their car over and said, what do you want? And I said, I'm just waving. You know, it's like a, a southern tradition. And I just knew it was different because it was not generation after generation of lives built on this book. But God gave me a verse in the book of Romans and it said, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So where there's a lot of sin, God says, I've got a lot of grace. And grace is supernatural strength to have a change in a life. And it's, it's his supernatural strength during tough times. So, so uh, God, uh, uh, God saves a lot of these people. Many people are baptized. The, the story's in Acts 18. But let's look down, if you will, please, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 18. And it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So then let's also back up to chapter 6 and verse 11. Chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians and verse 11. And let's notice uh, what Paul says here. We'll back up a little bit more. Verse number 9. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Is it warm or is it just me? Am I running a fever or you? Okay, it's just me. All right, thanks. Good. Pastor's not so hot. No, he's real hot. And uh, so 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Now Paul starts naming this list of sins. He's li uh, listing these sins to the Corinthian Christians. He said, you're not going to uh, uh, lead God's kingdom. He said, if these sins are prevalent in your life, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. That word effeminate means a man leaning toward anything pertaining to a woman. Hairstyle, jewelry style, clothing style, actions, walk, talk, mannerisms. Uh, so, so today we exalt this sin. In the Bible, God condemned this sin. Uh, he made uh, male and female, the two genders, a man and a woman. He made uh, man, Adam, and then he made Eve, woman, 
And because of that, they were able to uh, procreate and, and multiply and, and that sort of thing. So, so Paul names all these sins. He says, verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, I love it. I love this verse. And such were some of you. So Paul looked at this church. He said, I know you were saved out of a wicked city. Uh, you lived in a wicked day. Uh, Rome rules the world. Jesus had been crucified. John had been beheaded. Stephen had been stoned. Christians were being persecuted. The Colosseum is filled with the Christians being burned at the stake and thrown to the lions. And Paul said, guess what? Here's all these wicked sins that are acceptable in Corinth. By the way, all those sins are acceptable in America now. Someone says, well, this lifestyle is acceptable, but acceptable by who? By who? Just because something's legal or acceptable never makes it right. It's always, what does God say about it? Now, notice what he says, though. Such were some of you. And that's the encouraging part. Paul looks at his church members. He said, some of you were fornicators. Some of you were effeminate. Uh, some of you uh, maybe cross-dressed uh, and you thought you were transgendered. And the men looked like women. The women looked like men. Some of you showed up drunk to church. Uh, some of you uh, uh, were living uh, uh, wickedly. Some of you were thieves. And he said, but that was in the past. Amen. He said, such were some of you. This lie that the AA teaches, Alcoholics Anonymous, once alcoholic, always alcoholic. It's a lie. It's a lie. You go to the meeting, you stand up, my name's Joe. I'm an alcoholic. I hadn't had a drink for 57 years, but I'll always been alcoholic. Sit back down. God says such were some of you. And I'm not totally against AA. I'm not totally against NA. They do a lot of good, but I'm just saying. Paul looked at the church and said, that was in your past. That's not who you are now. That maybe was who you were then, but such were some of you. I just love that. I just love it. Father, bless the brief time we have. Help us now with these uh, thoughts in Jesus' name. Amen. So here they are, three thoughts tonight about going forward as a church. Number one, make the message clear. Make the message clear. And we see that all throughout Corinthians here, chapter 1 and 2, they keep using the word wise and wisdom, because uh, Greece was known for, for its literature, it's known for its language. Uh, they were wanting to hear something new, learn. Uh, they were very educated people. And you'll see, as it says, he, he says, verse 20, where is the wise? Verse 21, after that is the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom. And then he says, verse 22, seek after wisdom. Verse 24 uses the word wisdom. Verse 26, not many wise. Verse 30, God has made unto us wisdom. Uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, the speech of wisdom. And we see that word used in uh, verse 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and, and, and on and on. He's saying, you're saying the big thing is wisdom, be wise. But Paul is saying, make the message. Make the message clear. Our goal is to get the gospel out. Let's make the message clear. When they talked of Jesus in the gospels, it said, and the common people heard him gladly. I like what one little boy said. He visited a church and on the way home, his mother said, how did you like the preacher's sermon? And the little boy said, ah, uh, 
He's not so hot. I understood everything he said. Uh, And that's what we want. We want that said in every Sunday school class. We want that said in every gospel presentation. We want that said every time we have a guest speaker. They're not so hot. Hey, their God is great, but they're not so hot. I understood everything he said. So as you give the gospel, make it plain. uh, 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 plain. Make it clear. Uh, Like what Haggai says, uh, write the vision and make it plain. Common people heard him gladly. Suffer the little children to come unto me. Why? A little child can understand. And thank God for the young kids that get saved at this church through the bus ministry, through the Sunday school ministry, through the soul winning. Uh, It's real to them too. And sometimes we wonder, do they really understand? Sometimes I look at the adults and say, do they really understand? Well, did the children really mean it? I wonder, did the adults really mean it? And I look at a, at a, at a, at a uh, uh, Johnny Pope saved at age five. I look at a Charles Spurgeon saved as a, as a teenage boy. Uh, they meant it, just make it clear. And I love in verse 18, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Hey, just stick with the same old story. It's the same old story. It's the old, old story, the gospel story. Tell it to me again. I love the old, old story. Uh, For those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when we get to heaven, there's not going to be any new story. It's just going to be the old, old story that we have loved so long. Make it clear. Uh, Just make it clear. Uh, Make the message clear. Uh, Number two, uh, make the motivation concise. Look in chapter 2 and verse number 9. And let me encourage you here tonight. Sometimes the luggage gets heavy. The baggage. Uh, these people in Paul's church, they had a history of sin. They had, they had pasts. They had colorful pasts. Uh, they had guilt. They had remorse. They had decisions they wish they wouldn't have made. They had lifestyles they wish they hadn't have lived. And guess what? There's a motivation. How do you get past all that stuff? Look down in chapter two, verse nine. What a great verse. And I love this. And Paul's encouraging these people. You can get through this stuff. That's what you were. That was your past. And uh, let me help lighten your load. Chapter two, verse nine. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. What's he saying? There is a heaven. He's saying this is not all that there is. This is not all that we're going to be facing. We'll not always be here. It'll not always be this way. The hard part about burdens is thinking we're going to have to carry it the rest of our life. We're not. We're not. We're just passing through. It won't be long. We're going to be checking the baggage and we're going to be flying away like that old song says. It's not forever. It's just for a little while here. What is heaven? It's a prepared place. Jesus said in my father's house for many mansions, I go to prepare a place for you. We're not just dropping into heaven and him saying, oh, you're here today. No, it's prepared. He's preparing a place, uh, a place in that eternal city, a place next to him, a place where there are no tears and there is no death. And there is no hospitals and no NG tubes and no MRIs are needed and no persecution for the Christians anymore. A place where we'll be safe, doors wide open. 
Policemen won't have to patrol the neighborhoods. No blood tests. No phone calls from the doctors. No books. My uh, cancer. My enemy. My friend. So many of those things are going to be changed. I know our church in the last 38 years has been populating heaven. I think of people all the time. I look in pews and say, that's where brother so-and-so used to sit. That's where miss so-and-so sat. That's where so-and-so sat. And uh, my wife looked at, uh, uh, looked at a, uh, a lemon uh, tree in our backyard. She said, you know who gave me that? Sue Polivon gave me that. And she's been in heaven for years. And, and uh, oh, uh, who used to clean up after the uh, uh, New Year's uh, uh, party? Oh, that was brother Windish, always vacuuming after that. Just, just as person after person after person. What is heaven? It's a uh, prepared, it's a, it's a, it's a people. Amen. You know, sometimes we talk about the golden streets, but that's not what it's really all about. Amen. Yeah, they have the mansions. That's not what it's all about. Oh, the gates of pearl and there'll be some Baptist trying to I know, uh, lift it up, roll it next to his house or something. But it's not just the sights and the beauty. He says, he, uh, it's, uh, it's, prepared. it's a people, it's a place, but it's a person. And all of our questions that we've, we've said, I'm going to ask him when I get to heaven, they'll all be erased when we first see his face. Amen. When we see him, we're not going to say, all right, now let me ask you. No, no, all of it's going to be erased. And we're just going to say, I can't believe you would die for me. I cannot believe you'd let me live with you forever. And it's going to be quite a welcome. It's going to be quite a welcome. It'll get us through the junk. There is a heaven. It'll help us survive the baggage because there is a heaven. How beautiful heaven's going to be. And did you see what he said? Neither can enter into the heart of man. That means you can't even imagine. You take the most beautiful waterfall you've ever seen, the most beautiful smell of perfume or flowers. It doesn't even touch the hem of the garment of heaven. Most beautiful special you've ever heard sung here or any conference that won't be the beginning of the choir and the music you'll see in heaven. The colors, the smells, the sensations, the emotions, the hugs, the greetings, the acceptance. Just not being in this old flesh anymore will be a wonderful thing. Amen. All right, we're on the cruise, fellas. Guard your eyes. Forget the eyes. Guard your ears. Guard everything. Won't have to be on your toes anymore, watching out for temptation. Be careful. I think that's gossip. Watch out. This is a drug deal. Someone got me on picture making a, a drug deal on the boat. I can't believe it. Someone was sick. I said, you need some uh, Dramamine? Yep. So I looked to the left. I looked to the right. Pulled it out of my pocket. Poured it out. There's Brother Birdo taking pictures. That's how he makes his money. Blackmail. I think that's how he makes it. Encouraging the pastor. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. I don't think we think enough about it. I don't think we talk much about it. We talk a lot about our houses and where we used to live. I don't think we talk near, near enough about heaven. We're going to be here, oh, maybe 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years. Then we're going to be there for billions of years. Some of us think we're closer than others, but others may be closer than us. I kind of wish we had an hourglass in our hand. And everywhere we went, hey man, I'm doing better than you. I got 10 years left. No, I only got one year left. You're the loser. You got 10 years left. I've only got one. I'm the winner. I'll be there soon. You got to hang, hang around for the election. 
No elections up in heaven. He already won. His name is the governor. He's the king of all kings. It'll be a wonderful time. My dad thought he was going to heaven at one time and got pretty close. He tried to describe to me what he saw. He said, son, I thought I was going to go to heaven last night. Wasn't on any medication. And he just started crying. He said, let me tell you what I saw. Let me tell you who met me at the gates. And then he couldn't talk anymore. It's going to be greater than that. It's going to be wonderful. And none of us are going to get there and say, sure, I'm disappointed. It's not what I thought it'd be. (laughs) I've gone to amusement parks and been a little disappointed. I've been to places and been a little disappointed. In heaven, it's not going to be any disappointment. It's going to be, I didn't hear this much about how great it was going to be. We rushed to church. We fellowship a little bit, and then they start turning the lights. PG&E, PG&E, get out of here. Love each other, but get out of here. Go to Denny's. But up in heaven, it's going to be throw the watch away. Tell me your story. How meet you at your house. How about let's sit down and talk about 10,000 years. We'll get to hear Jesus preach. We'll get to hear the word teach us the word. We'll get to meet the famous characters. Some of you are going to get to meet relatives you never met. How many of you have a relative in heaven that you never got to meet? Anyone like that? We're going to get to meet some famous people. And I believe this too. I think some famous people in heaven are going to think we're famous. Oh, you were a soul winner? You were a Sunday school teacher? You drove a bus? Tell me your stories. And we're going to be telling our stories. I need to get off this point. Number one, make the message clear. Number two, make the motivation concise. Number three, make the mature cultivated. Look here in chapter three for just a moment. Chapter three. So we see Paul is telling this church. And he was only in Corinth a year and a half. So realize this. The, the most mature Christian in the church at Corinth at this time had been saved a year and a half. You know, it does take a while to grow in the Lord. Uh, that's why the Bible says not a novice. So if someone gets saved, they shouldn't be a pastor like six months later. They need to grow some. And so Paul is kind of coming down on some things here. And he loves them enough to be able to rebuke them. Mature people can be corrected. And so we see a lot of correction in this book of Corinthians. Hey, 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 let me tell you something. If you've ever been around Keith Gomez, that was... (laughs) He's always correcting somebody. And he always, he always had that finger like that. You know, I used to laugh at him all the time. He's retired now. I can really laugh. But he'd say, let me tell you something. He was always, let me teach you something. He was always correcting everybody. So now, okay, just forget it. Okay, it, it doesn't matter. So look down, if you will, please, in chapter 3 for just a moment. So we see the mature cultivated. God wants us to mature so we can go forward. Notice what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren... Could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. That means you didn't grow. You're, you're earthly. You're worldly. Even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. He's talking about doctrine 
and and scriptures. He said, I gave you what you could easily swallow, how to get saved, what baptism baptism is, uh, uh, why you need to go to church, what heaven and hell is all about. So he gave them the basics. He said, that's all I could give you. You were a baby. That's all you could swallow, just the milk. And he said, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Now, let me just encourage you here for a moment as a church, as a pastor. Be careful what you share with new Christians. Realize not everyone can handle meat. Some just need milk. That's why we have this discipleship. And it starts with, uh, it's wonderful you're saved. So the whole first uh, session, I think, is on salvation. I think the whole second one is, who is God? And you would think, well, if they don't know who God is, they shouldn't be in discipleship. But, I mean, it's a whole chapter. You know, who is God? It's all this milk. And then it starts being some meat toward the end. And so be careful. What's that mean? Uh, give them milk. Talk about the goodness of God. Talk about God's faithfulness. Talk about God's character. Talk about prayer. Talk about faithfulness in church. Uh, talk about soul winning. Give them all the milk that you can. Now, don't give them meat. Don't talk about clothing. Amen. That's meat. Well, I can't believe you'd wear that to church. What? Well, I never. Uh, what are you talking about? Uh, lay off of that. That's, that's meat. That's, that's some of that. Yeah, some of that will be taught later, but it shouldn't be taught to a new Christian. Separation from the world. You know that this is a sin. No, I've never even heard that was a sin. So you want to be careful on that. The reason some people don't keep coming to a good church is they got choked with meat and died. Someone just uh, wanted to share all their wonderful knowledge and they gave them all this meat and they choked. Give them milk. Let them finish discipleship. I've had people right in the middle of discipleship so say, so pastor, what's wrong with such and such? And I've said, you know, that's a great subject. And we'll probably get to it in the next couple of months. Someone said, you're a compromiser if you're a pastor and do not plan on giving all the truth. But you're stupid if you give all the truth at once. When people first get saved. The Bible says Jesus taught them. The disciples as they were able. To hear it. So Jesus first. First meeting with the disciples. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. It's going to be exciting. That's how he started. Three years later. If you don't hate your mother. Hate your dad. Hate your family. Leave your job and die for me. You're not fit for the kingdom. Woo. He didn't start with that. You know what he did? He turned that heat up gradually. And that's what God does. God has to do that. You can't. I didn't mention this morning that we had someone cuss in the baptistry today. Did I mention that? (laughs) When that new convert slipped down the stairs, I said, here we go. It was only two of us in the water and, and it wasn't me, but someone cussed. Oh, blank. I went, oh, man. I hope, I hope the crowd didn't hear that. 
I said, just put your hand here and then you bend back. What? I said, you bend your knees. You bend your knees. He, did, he didn't hear me or something. And now it's this, this Taekwondo Bruce Lee self-defense thing. And I'm trying to get him under and he isn't going to get under. Now I'm pushing down. And when I pushed down, his foot came out. Did y'all see his foot? His foot came completely out of the water. Then he's trying to get back on his feet and he's grabbing me. And I'm thinking, I'm going under. I thought it was going to be like one of those barrel rolls at Disneyland or something. And then he said, oh, blank. And he said the same word again. <laughs> and I think the Lord looked down and said, hey, that's what soul winning is all about. The guy maybe wouldn't have thought one thing. It's just his vocabulary. It's the words that's in his heart. I'm not going to correct him. Well, if you cuss again, you probably shouldn't walk in the house and God. Get out of here. We're trying to get, we're not trying to get saved people in. We're trying to get lost people in. And so Paul is saying such were some of you. And he's saying, babes, give them milk. Don't give them too much. And then as you start growing, you got to have meat or you're not going to mature. Now, what is meat? Uh, that's learning about the second coming of Christ. Uh, that's the book of Revelation. Uh, that's separation from the world. How do we separate from the world? How do we separate from ungodly friends? What activities are worldly? Uh, what about music? What about friendships? What about this? What a, uh, and on and on and on it goes. Notice what he says. You were not able to bear it. Verse 3. For you were yet carnal. For whereas uh, there is among you. So here's, uh, here's what a baby Christian will be involved in. Uh, there's among you. Verse 3. Envying. I wish I was like them. I wish I had what they had. Strife, arguments, always in the mix. Can't get along with this person. Can't get along with that person. Fighting with the husband. Fighting with their wife. Can't get along. This isn't going well. This, why? Who is fighting? It's immature baby Christians. That's what the Bible says here. It'll be strife. And then divisions. Are you for me or for them? Whose side are you on? Are you for me? You think I'm doing right or my husband's doing right? My husband's doing right. And uh, uh, who's right here? And it's all this division. And so Paul is dealing with these people. You say, Pastor, how can you tell if someone's a baby Christian or if you're a baby Christian? Well, here's, here's some signs quickly. You cry a lot. Babies cry a lot. I love it when I see new parents in the church and I'll say, isn't it wonderful to have a baby? Oh, it's so wonderful. A baby is in your home and usually neither parent is smiling. Their eyes are roadmaps, they're bloodshot, they haven't slept in three months and it's, yeah, it's great. Babies cry a lot. Baby Christians cry a lot. Why? Hurt feelings, selfish, upset, uh, wasn't, wasn't invited to the party, uh, wasn't recognized, not enough people shook their hand while they sat down during handshaking. Some kid bit their kid, pastor's grandchild bit their child in the nursery. Good, and we teach them how to do that. If I can't get back with their parents, I'll just teach the grandkids who to bite. They cry a lot. What else? They're selfish. It's all about them. It's just part of the nature. You look in the nursery tonight. Uh, 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 Steve gave me a hat of a Christmas. It said, beware, pastor. 
Everything you say and do could be used in a sermon. So you could look in the nursery tonight and guarantee you there's going to be some kid. Mine! No one's playing with the toy, but as soon as another kid goes to grab it, he's over there. It's mine! Baby Christians are like that too. It's mine! And they're very selfish. It's all about them. Not only that, but babies get dirty. They just get dirty. They don't change themselves. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? You ever change a kid's diaper? Nope, never need to. Our kids were born. They knew how to change themselves and bathe themselves. It was just wonderful. They get dirty. Baby Christians get dirty. They fall off the addictions wagon. They mess up. Uh, They do that. They do this. Uh, They miss church. Uh, They shouldn't. Uh, They get drunk. They get in a fight. Uh, Husband and wife fighting and feuding and one's moving out. And now, hey, look, it it just comes sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes that happens. Must be watched. You know, it's an important thing. And I think each of us as leaders and teachers and mature Christians We're all shepherding others. When someone misses church, it ought to not be the Gestapo, but it ought to be, hey man, I missed you. I'm not, you know, I just just want to make sure you're okay. I missed you being here today. I I told Brother Schulte that. And I said, Brother Schulte, it wasn't the same without you being here in your spot. There's something about it. So what's it take to become mature? You got to change your, your eating. You got to start eating something that's a little heavier than milk. What's that mean? Sometimes you're going to read something and you're going to say, boy, that's hard. That's a hard one to do, but that's a part of it. So what are the signs of a mature Christian? I'll give you this quickly here. They take responsibility. They take responsibility. I said it. I did that. Okay, here it is. Just throw the punishment my way. They take responsibility. Wouldn't it be great if all of our government officials did that? Take responsibility. Number two, they don't blame others. Amen. Well, it was because it was, man, you see it all the time. They're not blamers. John Wooden, the great coach, UCLA basketball team, he said, a guy is not a failure until he begins blaming others. When it's always someone else's fault, it's a sign that we're not maturing. Number three, we must be accountable accountable. I'd never been in the construction world. I'm not a contractor. I got named uh, the contractor to finish our two-story building when the, when the major contractor walked off the job. But I did remember one thing. When the electricians were done wiring the building, they had to sign off. I mean, there was their name. We did this Job. Water sprinkler company. Yes, we installed all these sprinklers. They're hooked up to the pipes. They had to sign their name. You know, people who have to sign their name to something, it's a little bit more accountable. And so how important for us to be able to say, I'll sign my name to that. That's my job. And here it is. What's another sign of a mature person? They must be a team player. A team player. Back on this thing of accountability and taking responsibility. Years ago at uh, Golden State, Mrs. Treber taught a class on motherhood. 
And she kept telling the girl students, she said, it's not as easy as you think. You know, you all want to have a baby and raise a little baby. It's not easy because your freedom is gone. And you always have to think, car seat, baby, babysitter. And so when the girls took her class, they each had to buy one of these, um, I don't know, like uh, eight pound uh, fake baby dolls. I mean, they were like life size. And for that semester, they had to bring the baby to every class. And sometimes they would make it a, 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 an announcement in chapel. Uh, so-and-so student, so-and-so student, your baby was left in the bathroom. Come get your baby. It's in stall number two in the women's bathroom. They'd forget all about the baby. And they had to have, you know, the little set-up seats and, and all that. They had to carry it. The whole semester she was saying, hey, you're responsible. And then quickly here. A mature person is a team player. Look over here in chapter number three, just for a second. In verse, uh, 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 yeah, chapter three in verse number six, if you will. Paul says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth, he that watereth, or one, one team, Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. Verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. It's going to come out what you did for the Lord. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. Verse 14, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. So he's saying here, we're a team. He's saying, uh, Apollos, uh, all right, he gave you the word and, and uh, uh, so-and-so watered the word and it was God that gave the increase. We're all apart. Maybe we could have even called this uh, uh, thought here tonight, Team Hopewell. Amen. We're a team. We're a team. Several thoughts about this. Number one, play your role. Amen. Preached a whole message years ago where, where uh, 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 John is... Uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Simon Peter's looking at John and he said, Lord, what's this man supposed to do? And Jesus said, you just kind of leave him alone. Let me tell you what to do. Go, uh, uh, go and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, get your eyes off him. You just play your role. And we each have a role in the church. Um, my team did not make the playoffs this year, New Orleans Saints. They were not invited because they're such a godly team they preferred others to have a chance to play in the playoffs. And so that's why they're not playing this year. But while the Saints only made one Super Bowl game, every year they would have people on their team that made the Pro Bowl. You know why? There were some people on their team, even though they never made the, the playoffs, the scouts were watching and they said the center or the halfback Pro Bowl material, we're nominating them to play in the Pro Bowl. So God sees what we're doing. He sees what you're doing in your house, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your ministry. So Paul says, hey, just major on playing your role. Not everyone's going to be perfect. Not everyone's going to do what they ought to do. But you can 
Do what you're supposed to do. Number two, see the value in others. We never get to the place in our church where we say, well, we sure don't need so-and-so. We don't need that family. We don't need that guy. You know, that guy rides a bus. We don't need him coming. Uh, Let God determine who's needed on the team and who's not. See the value in others. Everyone has value. Everyone's needed. Number three, don't tell others how to play their part. (laughs) You ever notice sometimes people are good at giving advice that you never asked for? Let me tell you how to raise your kids. Let me tell you how to build your... Well, you know, sorry, but I didn't ask you. <laughs> Let me tell you how, how to have a great marriage. Well, I've been watching yours, and I don't, I don't think I want to hear. And, and so, don't tell others how to play their role. Number four, cheer others on. Paul was such an encourager. He cheered these other people on. And then last, look down here in verse number 21. 321, therefore let no man glory in men. What's he saying? Give all the glory to the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 7. For who maketh thee to differ from another? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? He said, if God gave you the ability to do something for him, make sure you're giving him all the glory for that. So here's Paul. He says, I want you to mature. Don't be a baby Christian. I want you to mature. Be a team player and make the message clear. And I hope that we'll do that this week.